Let me start this over. I didn't turn my microphone on. I started to say how glad I am to have my friend Paula here with me. She is going to be preaching this morning in just a few minutes, and I want you to make sure and have your ears wide open and listen carefully because she has lots of faith and lots of wonderful things to say this morning. But I'm glad to have just a minute with you to think about this amazing story we just heard that Jesus told. There's a part in the story when he turns to a group of people and tells them how proud he is of them and how much he really appreciates who they are and how they love. And he says to them, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And the people say, we didn't know it was you. When did we do that? And he said, any time you gave somebody who was hungry something to eat or somebody who was thirsty something to drink, you did it for me. It was like you were doing it to me. That makes me think about all the many people in the world and how everybody is in the image of God. We might want to think that that Jesus is inside every person. And so it matters how we treat every person. And when we see someone who needs something, maybe someone who is hungry and they need something to eat, or is thirsty and they need a glass of cold water, or someone who's sad and they might need a smile and a word of encouragement. Anytime we see someone in need, we can help. And it's like we're doing it for Jesus. There's nothing so small that it's not important. I know you may think, well, I'm just a little child. There's not a whole lot I can do. But you can smile at people. You can draw a picture for someone. You can offer someone something to eat if you think they're hungry. So thank you for all that you do for other people. And thank you for the way that you love other people because you love Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious God, there are so many different ways that we can help and that we can love other people. Help us keep our eyes open to see people as if you are inside each and every one of them and to do what we can to help those who are hurting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here comes my friend Paula. Good morning. It is indeed a joy and a pleasure to be here with you today. I bring you greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and on behalf of Gordon Memorial, United Methodist Church. And as Carol has said, it is not only a joy for me to be her colleague, but that I can also call her friend. And so I thank you for the privilege to be here on this Christ the King Sunday, the actual last Sunday of the liturgical year. Were you all aware of that? This is the last Sunday. So if we were on the regular calendar right about now, I might be asking you if you had made any New Year's resolutions. Anybody ever make New Year's resolutions? Do you remember them after 30 days? 60 days? I know. But for this resolution, I think it was quite appropriate that we could think of having resolutions regarding our Christian practices, our Christian traditions. As we move into this new church year, 
what are those habits that we want to continue? What are those things that maybe we want to lay aside and possibly do a little bit more of? And so for this text, I would like to ask that you would pray with me on, for a moment from a theme of a time of reckoning, a time of reckoning. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for where we have already seen and heard your presence. We pray, oh God, that you continue to sit with us, that we might, your word might take deep root in our lives, move us from being mere hearers to doers of your word. Hide me behind your cross. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? And so as we continue this final discourse in Matthew, and I did speak to Carol that you all have been following the lectionary, we come upon this particular parable, but it's not really a parable as much as it is a description about judgment, about the final judgment. And so as we think about this, the, the final judgment in this parable, we'll see that it's about mercy. And it begs the question, how are we nurturing the spirit of nurture for ourselves? What I want us to think about in the midst of all of this is that our everyday behavior and interactions matter. Whatsoever we do for the least of these matter. Loving God and loving neighbor matters. Are we feeding the hungry? Are we giving to the thirsty something to drink? Are we clothing the naked? Are we welcoming the stranger? Are we caring for the sick? Are we visiting the, the prisoner? It all matters. Those directions are quite clear, right? We've heard them before, they're quite clear. It's in, in alignment with the great commandment to love God and love neighbor. I'm sure many of us could recite that without me having to say it. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, knowing what the right thing is is not the problem. There's a big difference between knowing what the right thing is and doing the right thing. For it, Carol reminded us that Jesus said, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And what do you think about the response that they gave? Lord, when, when was it that we saw you and we gave you something to eat? When was it, Lord, that we saw you and we gave you something to drink? When was it, Lord, tell us when? And I had to, over this past week, thought about how I would answer that question. Last week, while I was um, headed to the church, I got off on 28th Street, got off the freeway and saw a young man sitting by the side of the road that's, with a sign that said, anything helps, God bless. I recognized him as one of the least of these. I recognized him as the guy that comes to the church on Saturdays um, to pick up a meal. I 
recognized him as a guy who would come by the church sometimes during the week and I would ask him, how can I help you? What do you need? And we go and get food from the pantry. But I also recognized him as the guy who sometimes I would turn and look the other way and acted like I didn't see him. So did that make me a goat in those times? And when the times I did the right thing, did that make me a sheep that would be blessed by the Father and bound for eternal life? I don't know. But when I think about it, I think we all have characteristics of being a sheep and being characteristic of being a goat. We all have a little bit of sheep and a little bit of goat in us. Am I right, church? All right, thank you. We all have been in that place where we saw that person who needed something and we either acted like we were talking on our phone or we turned our head and looked the other way or we were in conversation or, or maybe we were the ones that crossed over to the other side of the street or maybe we paused a little bit long, too long and let that person pass by. According to this text, that would say that that is goat behavior. Now I can give you many well-prepared, prepared, crafted reasons why sometimes I act and other times I don't. Yet this text challenges us to linger and reflect on our behaviors and our attitude, not be so quick to wiggle out and make excuses for those things that make us uncomfortable when we dare to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. And when we do that, we realize this story isn't about that young man. This story is about me. This story is about you. That whatsoever you do for the least of these resonating and echoing through my mind, I couldn't escape from it as the word of God collided against my mere excuses. As the Spirit convicted me, all I could do was then just stand before God like the psalmist David in Psalm 139 and say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything in me that is not of you. Remove, remove it, God, and lead me in your path everlasting. See, the least of these for Jesus in his time were the orphans, the widows, the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed. It was the least of these who were the socially outcast, but yet Jesus still find, found time to offer hospitality and compassion. Who are the least of these in our society today? I contend that the least of these are those who have been or are being denied the privilege to live into their full God-given potential. The least of these are in all of our lives, not just the stereotypical ones, not just the person standing on the corner or the one asking for, um, for clothing, are the one who just got out of prison, the least of these could be someone in our own household, 
someone who's sitting across the table, someone working in our office, the least of these does not have to apply just to physical needs. What about those emotional needs and those spiritual needs, particularly at a time like this? What about all of those who are yelling out like David in the psalm, how long, O oh Lord, will you hide your face from me? How long, O oh Lord, will every day remain to struggle, wrestling with their thoughts, wrestling with grief at the loss of loved ones, feel like they're losing the battle and there's no way out, and the enemy is triumphing over them? The least of these is in all of our lives. They are the people whom we sense either real or perceived power or control over. Okay, church, this is the part where it's gonna get tough, okay? Buckle up. I'm gonna act like I'm in my own church now, if that's all right with you all. And for those of you all who are watching, they shift their heads and say, okay. <laughs> the least of these are the ones who have less resources and options than we do. When we read reports that your zip code predicts your future success, when working from home is not an option during a pandemic, the least of these are those who are overwhelmed by life and underwhelmed by support even from the church. The least of these who are experiencing systemic racism, wealth inequity, essential workers, the ones who feel that they are hanging by the thread and everyone else has the scissors that can cut that. The least of these are, are all of us who have privilege that allows us to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and don't have to worry about anybody else's response. The least of these is when we as a church settle for charity and we fail to seek justice and advocacy. Yes, as we move into this liturgical year, are we willing to submit ourselves for self-examination, to resolve to this daily reckoning, not just the, what's gonna happen at the end? It's, my grandmother used to say, you know, sometimes as people of the church that we're so heavenly bound, we're no earthly good. If we have a daily reckoning, we become earthly good. I think we need to think about being a biblical plumb line. Now, I'm a physical therapist, first career, and in PT school, I learned about the plumb line. You all are familiar with the plumb line? Okay, it's, it's one of the things, you, it's like a rope or a cord that has a weight on the bottom of it. No matter if I'm holding it this way or holding it to the side, it will always line up with the vertical because of the gravitational pull. We use it in therapy to assess somebody's um, posture. So in other words, with your posture, yes, somebody sat up straight when I said posture. <laughs> With the, with the plumb line, we pretty much can tell where there's weakness, where there's muscle tightness, where you might have some problems in the future if you're not in alignment. What if during this time we use a biblical plumb line? If we use
use that biblical plumb line to align our lives, our choices, and our actions, where we are no longer being pulled to the things of the world, but we're submitting to having our lives transformed by the renewing of our minds. Oh, I'm just wondering if anybody would be willing to allow the, the plumb line to reveal our implicit biases and our blind spots which distort our views of the other and creates all kinds of isms and failure to see people as made in the image of God. Is anybody willing to allow the biblical plumb line to help us to witness to the destructive role of the silence and muted whispers of the church at a time when the church should have righteous indignation and should be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm wondering if we would lose that, use that plumb line to apply it to a justice system that shows that indeed people of color disproportionately are behind bars. Are we willing to allow ourselves to disrupt the school to prison pipeline? The biblical plumb line that might acknowledge it's okay for us to disagree, but we do it with love that we do it with love. I don't have to agree with you, but I have to love you because this Bible says that I am supposed to. When we do that, we are able to help those communities who feel like the knee is on their neck and give them opportunities no matter where they are so that they can breathe again. A biblical plumb line which allows us to cast the light on how all of us have unrecognized privilege, fear of rejection, are being ostracized, and it causes us to be complicit with the status quo. The biblical plumb line that will open our eyes that I could see you as made in the image of God, that you will see me the same that we will have our ears open, that we can hear the cries of those whose voices have been, that have been silenced are ignored, that we might be able to remove the calluses from our hearts so that we may recognize as a church, God calls us not only to charity but to justice so that we move from just giving a handout to becoming involved in giving a hand up. And Weston, I want to thank you for all the work that you have done and you continue to do to not only be a people of charity, but asking the question, how can we help move people from where they are to closer to where God has, um, wants them to be? In fact, church, give yourselves a hand clap of praise. Oh, yes. Give yourselves a hand clap of praise for doing that. I, I'm going to move on. <laughs> Will you resolve to that daily reckoning where it allows us to look deep inside ourselves and see both our humanity and our inhumanity? Where we will see that there, are, there is light, but there are also places of darkness. That we will see that we have attitudes as sheep and we have characteristics of goats. 
Will we allow it to push us to look at the truth of our lives, to look at the choices that we make, and to be aware that our choices make a difference? Teresa of Avila said it this way, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Hold your hands up. Yours are the hands. Tap your feet. Yours are the feet. Hands on your eyes. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body on this earth but yours and mine. So will we resolve to approach every person, every place, every circumstance, every choice as if we see Christ in the other person? And if that is too challenging for us, if we can't see Christ, why can we at least imagine that they will see the Christ in us? Yes, Christ is the king who has come. Christ is the king who is coming. Christ will come again. And each one of us will need to give an account. He might come today for some. It might be a thousand years before he comes again. Nobody knows the day nor the hour. What matters though is that we live each day in preparation for that moment in which we'll all be called to give an account for how we spent our time, how we spent our resources, how we used our gifts, how we kept the faith. Will you accept the challenge for a daily reckoning? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.